What a start for Brad Hughes. 180 metres to go. Looking good. Oh, what a shot. What a shot from Brad Hughes. Oh, my goodness. What a finish for Bradley Hughes. Easing up the five, joining the lead. An amazing victory. For the second time, Brad Hughes wins the Australian Masters. This time by five strokes. Welcome to Bradley Hughes Podcast, Episode 5. This week, it's the Masters Week, and I have an amazing guest, Curtis Strange. We talk about his career in golf, the broadcast side of things, his favourite pastimes. There's so much to do, so much to hear, so let's get started. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the one and only Curtis Strange. Thanks for joining us, Curtis. You won 16 of your 17 tournaments in the 1980s. I presume you like the 80s music as well. <laughs> you know, we were so caught up in our golf in those days, Brad. We didn't listen to music. We didn't watch TV. I got to the golf course early in the morning for a tea time or whatever, and you practice all afternoon, and you go home, you're so tired, you might watch a ball game, you go to bed. Uh, it was I was so blinded to the rest of the world for 20 years. I'd say 15 to 20 years playing tour. I knew I had to work my ass off when I got out on tour in 76, 77. Um, I felt intimidated. I felt um, insecure in my own game. And the only thing I knew to do was work my ass off. And I, I listened, but I felt like I was pretty good in my own mind on what to cipher out and what was good for my game or not. You know, I'm still the mentality that if you tell me to do something and it doesn't work in the first five or ten minutes, we're moving on to something else. <laughs> um, it's got to fit your your ability and, and your mind and, and your swing. Um, I just, I, I, I loved it so much playing professional golf. I am a golf as well, but professional golf. And I was so committed because this is the only thing I knew how to do. If, if, if you put on a list of, a piece of paper, a list of things I could do other than play golf, there was no writing on that piece of paper. <laughs> so if I failed at this, I didn't have a clue what I would do. I'll tell you what I would do. I'd go home and be a PGA professional like my dad. But uh, I was so committed and, and so focused on playing the best I could that uh, there wasn't much else out there. <laughs> So you're at, you're at the Masters now, obviously. Uh, you, you're commentating there for ABC, ESPN? Yeah, I'll be here all week for ESPN. been doing it for years. And, yep. uh, uh, it's, it's a great week to come and, and be a part of. It's, uh, I love this place. I you know, had a couple of big disappointments here, but that's okay. You know, everybody, when you play golf, you're going to have more disappointments and victories. So, Absolutely. People uh, forget and, that. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and you learn from those. So, uh, you don't learn much of anything when you win. Uh, I, you know, we tweet this out once in a while, and I love reading, you know, reading your tweets and seeing, you know, your your swing thoughts. But you know, when you lose and when you have a big failure or any kind of failure, you go back and you 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 think about it many many times, and you say, oh, where did I, where could I have gone better, and how could I have done it better? And if you're smart enough and a realist and realize and don't not have these grand illusions. You know, just be real with yourself and just say, hey, okay, I got to do this, do this. You know, I three-putted that hole, which was ridiculous. Why did I do that? You learn from that. And and hopefully you learn from that and become a better player. 
So in that final round in 85, obviously you shot 80 the first day and shot 65 second day. Next minute you're leading going into the back nine. And you you went for the green on 13 and 15 and people second yep. guess that. Were you forced into doing that by who was challenging you at the time that you... No, I had a big lead. Uh, I was... <laughs> you know, I've never heard it said like that where you forced into it. You, when you're on the backside, whoever's on the backside this week, if it's a young or an old crusty veteran, he knows the history of this backside. The people watching throughout the world know the history of this backside on Sunday afternoon at Augusta. They know the ones that have prevailed and the ones that have failed. And so did I. And so do you, everybody. I mean, it's it's such history here that uh, because we play the same golf course every year. And so I drove it really well. I had somebody, Claude Herman said this comment years ago, said Curtis lost the Masters because he drove it so well at 13. Interesting point. <laughs> if I didn't hit a good drive, then I'd have had to lay up. But anyway, at 208, actually I had yeah, 208 to the front of the green. Perfect little forward off the side hill lie, and I hung it just a little bit and went in the creek. Um, you know, when you have 208 to the front of the green, you know, when you play golf, when, what else would you lay up? Yeah, it's hard to lay so up from I, there. It's hard to lay up, and I still had like a three-shot lead at the time over Bernhard Langer. And I just felt like that, that was the thing to do. Um, that was the way I was playing. I just played the last, you know, 37 or 8 holes and, and got, I don't know, 15 or 16 under par. And I never crossed, well, it did cross my mind to lay up. I said, no, let's keep going. Let's build on this lead. And I didn't I didn't hit a terrible shot, but I hit it in the creek and made bogey. And that was the start of, of making a couple of bogeys on par fives on the backside. But, you know, in retrospect, would you do it again? Probably not because I know the outcome. But that's not that's not reality, and so you uh, you do what you think is right at the time, and uh, it didn't it didn't pan out that time. But um, I don't know. I, I think you, I think you know you are you were you forced into doing it? Maybe a little bit by uh, you know you, your ego gets in the way. Maybe you're you're on this stage. You haven't missed a shot in two and a half days. Um, maybe so a little bit. So we get to the, you know, you get your chance again, 1988 US Open at Brookline, you're in the lead. Um, no one really talks about the bunker shot on 18 to actually get up and down and get into the playoff. What were you feeling there? You made it look pretty easy. You know, very few people have ever, they talked to me about, did I aim for the bunker? Uh, did I do this, do that? But they never talked about the bunker shot. And it was, as you very well know, through your years of playing, you know, simple shots are made really tough by the situation. Um, I stood on the side of the green, took the deep breath, told myself, okay, you no good, gutless, you know, <laughs> be, be a man once in your life. Now, but I just said, you've done this a million times. Just get it done, okay? And I wasn't nervous. I was anxious, but I wasn't shaking nervous. But, you know, the, it was a simple shot made by the situation, an enormous shot. It became the most important shot I ever hit in my life. Then you go in there and hit a bunker shot. Um, you know, I always said that if you practice your butt off your entire life and get in a situation like that, don't get scared of it. This is what you've been practicing for for years and years and years. This is the this is what you you dreamed about the U.S. Open. So don't don't back off now. You know, just get in there and get the job done and and uh, hit a good bunker shot and tapped in. But um, it still wasn't over because Nick still had a putt to win. But 
nobody ever, you're right nobody ever talks much about that shot yeah well it is something you've done over and over it's just a situation how much pressure you want to put on yourself because of you know the it's the 72nd hole the US Open but you've done it a million times exactly and you've got to prepare yourself for that and the losses before that have prepared yourself for that when I lost in 85 the Masters I felt when I made turn to the backside enormous amount of of, of, of pressure unlike anything I'd ever felt before in my life but that was also the learning curve of preparing for you know I was in the position to maybe have a chance two other times in the US Open before at 88 and each time you lose you learn how your body reacts how it feels and how to do it a, a better job of it the next time at 88 I was you know, there's no such thing as being really comfortable on the golf course in that pressure but I was as comfortable as I could be and what about, you know, playoff, 18-hole playoff in the U.S. Open? Do they still do that these days? No, they do a three-hole aggregate now. Uh, they, they changed last year, and which I agree with because let's get this thing over with. Um, if you, from pure, pure golf tradition and the best player will rise to the top the longer more holes you play. So 18 holes in our case was, was good. I liked 18 holes. But at the same time, three holes, you've had already, already had 72 holes to, to win the tournament, and now you have three more holes in the current format. That's a plenty enough time to find out who the champion is yeah, and, and, and to move on and get on the plane and get out of there. So, probably uh, much fairer than sudden death for major. Sudden death is, is some people think, a little unfair, but you know when you really technically look at it, you've had 72 holes to win a tournament. So say Nick and I tie. Now we go to sudden death, and he beats me. I'm disappointed, but we played one hole, and I had the same chance he did. So now the total is 73 holes. That, if you look at it like that, it's 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 pretty doggone fair. And the following year, you back it up at uh, I think Oak Hill was uh, you know a lot more pressure on you that year just because you were defending. You know, I never felt pressure at all defending a tournament, uh, and I didn't feel pressure there. I, I knew you were going to be on stage a little bit, but that's more prior to Thursday. Some press, you had the press uh, conference a month before. Uh, you know, the pressure comes from within, and I was comfortable. I wasn't playing great, but I was playing well enough. Um, uh, U.S. Open, I think you just have to be a, a, a robotic type of player, and I liked the golf course. Um, I was making a few putts. And so when you tee off on Thursday, I never once did I think that, oh, I could win here. Nobody ever talked about winning back-to-back because that had been done in, in 32 years or something like that from Ben Hogan. So you just go, want to play. I wanted to, I wanted to play well. It was a U.S. Open. I wanted to represent myself well. I wanted to, you know, make a nice check to pay the bills at home. Uh, all of the above. And as you know, I played a decent first round, and so there was some start to momentum. I had a lot of good shots. I made a few putts. Second round won the tournament when I shot 64, basically. But you just let the tournament come to you. You let momentum build in the U.S. Open. You cannot force the issue at all, um, and much like this week at the Masters. So you just got to you know, let a putt drop, hit a couple of good shots, gain a lot of confidence, let the momentum build, and next thing you know, uh, you might have a chance on Sunday afternoon, and I did. Well, I personally loved the US Opens in those days. I played in four of them, and you know, yeah. if you didn't drive it well, you were 
puff, you know, pretty much out of it. And then you had to hit your irons well, and then you're out of it. So, you know, short game, the pressure of putting, there was a, there was a lot involved. And I love the Sandy Tatum uh, message, you know, one year when everyone was complaining about the tournament that, you know, we're not trying to embarrass the best players. We're trying to, you know, establish or recognize them. And how did you, how were you able to meet those demands of the US Open? You just felt in control or that was your style of game? I don't think I ever felt in control of the golf course, <laughs> especially the US Open. Uh, you know, when I went back, when I, tried, when I got on tour and, and after three or four years, I tightened my swing up, my grip got a little weaker. I, I felt like I could play day in and day out, consistent golf. That was the whole goal purpose of doing that is not only regular tour events but also in the u.s open put it in the fairway that sets up the rest of the hole that sets up the round if you don't put it in the fairway now you struggle um it doesn't mean you can't make par but it's struggling and it wears on you and it it, it wears you out and, and it wears on you mentally so i just always seemed to the one the opens i played well in even the ones i lost i drove it well and i felt like i was one up on everybody else. Um, I was a good iron player, and it was a matter of me making a few putts. And uh, once again, back in those days, those days the greens were harder and faster than any any place other than Augusta National. So you had to putt well, but more so than anything else, you had to be patient, and you had to realize you weren't going to make twenty birdies this week. You were going to make six or seven, uh, and you just had to save par and work for every shot you you made. So you know you you get a you have a reputation I would assume just because of those U.S. Open victories as you know a, a not I'm not saying a, your game was a plotting game but you are you know it was set up great for those events but you also won tournaments like Vegas and Memphis where it was really low scoring how did you uh, how did you change your mindset for there you just kept playing the same game and you managed to go low at, at the same time. Well, you know, you, you don't consciously change your game. You know, say, take for instance Vegas. You know, not much rough out there. You play a couple of different golf courses. You know, you drive it in the middle of the fairway. But once again, if, even if there's not a whole lot of rough, if you drive it in the rough, you've done two things. You first of all not hit a good tee shot, and so I question, okay, what did I do wrong there? And you put it in some short rough, which now you don't have complete control of your second shot into that back left hole location. So you got to play more to the middle of the green. So, all because of you missed the fairway. So, I understood that I had to drive it in the fairway. I couldn't overpower a golf course. Very few people back in the day could really overpower a golf course. Uh, that's that's was later on in, in today's time. But, you know, just put it in the fairway, try to hit good iron shots and make a few putts. You know, when you're shooting 20 under par at Vegas or Memphis or Milwaukee or wherever it might be, it comes down, you got to make some putts. Yeah. You know, a lot of people hit a lot of grains. But you got to make some putts, and you've got to try to hit it closer than anybody else, yes, but you still have to make putts. You know, I say in every clinic and every time I give any kind of talk about the golf swing, you know, we always hit drivers, two irons, five irons, seven irons on the practice tee, and we practice our ass off every day, but nobody has ever won a tournament by ball striking. <laughs> Certainly that helps, but you've got to make putts, and you've got to get it up and down a few times, and that's the key. So you just touched on your, your golf swing there. What do you think made it uh, it work so well? You know, I'm a coach now, obviously, and I study stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, would you call that, you know, you're 
your swing became sort of left shoulder over your right, right shoulder over your left, and it kept the the club pretty square and flat for a long time through the hitting area? Yeah, I think... Um, oh, gosh, where do I start? Um, when I tightened up, I just kept... My, when I say I tightened up, I, I tightened up my arm swing. You know, when you're hitting a long ways, your arm swing you know, travels away from your body a little bit because that's where a lot of the speed comes from. Uh, my grip was stronger to hold the angle and to release big at the ball. Um, but you got to remember, we were playing such different clubs in, and balls, and you had to hit it in the middle of the club face every time. If not, the ball would spin offline. So, I don't know, I tightened my arm swing up to my shoulder turn. I felt like I had pressure in my armpits. Uh, that lack, that decreased the speed a little bit. Um, and then I felt like I was hanging back. My, I've had a, a set 60 to 70 swing. I had a big leg drive with my hips, and my upper body held held back behind the ball, and I fully released my arms and hands. That's how you hit speed to me. And so I realized I had to save my back, and I had to, uh, you know, I think hit down and through a little bit more. So I just kind of got behind the ball a little bit more, tried to get my left shoulder back behind to my right foot a little bit more and then drive through and then the right shoulder stay up and through the shot better and then I could hit down on it better but when I did this things happened unbeknownst to me my divots got shallower my ball striking got more in the middle of the club face Uh, I had less flip at the ball because of my right side more or less released. I felt like my arms didn't ever pass my body until halfway through the forward swing. But I became more consistent. The ball flight came down more consistently. I didn't spin the ball more at times than others. And everything became easier. And that's in a nutshell what happened. But it happened pretty quickly. And it, it happened, you know, subconsciously too. I didn't understand why, but I... I hung with it because it was working well. <laughs> well, that's a great observation because you know, you, you know, today's day and age, everyone's camera and track man, and all that. You you just basically learnt by your divot and your flight and the feels what what worked. I think that's a, a lovely way to play golf. Yeah, I think it's it's you know it's it's certainly changed now. I'm not say who's better. You know, certainly they're better now because they have more they have more knowledge and more feedback and more. Um, um, lack of a better term evidence of what they're doing or not doing we had to do it a lot by feel and just we had a few cameras out there and i never i never could kind of grasp the idea of the camera thing i did look at it a lot uh, trust me but i always looked at the bad things so that wasn't that wasn't a positive <laughs> situation uh, and it's such a field game. When I would change, when I would make a change, I could sometimes even see the change on camera. But as long as I felt there was a change, that was making a change. And it takes time. But I don't know, day in and day out, I like playing by feel. I, I was a me- somewhat a mechanical player at times, don't get me wrong. But when you're out there in the middle of the golf course and things aren't going well, you can't go jump on and get on a camera. You've got to be able to know your swing and know what the feel is and know your tendencies and try to fix the swing in a matter of a hole or two. Yeah, that's great. I was actually going to use that as a question later on, where you're a field player or a mechanical, and you sort of answered that right there. So you, you excelled in your era. What what other era would you have loved to have been a part of? You know, Jones, Hogan, Sneed... Ah, sorry, Jones, Hagen, Sneed, Hogan, Nelson, Arnie, Jack, player. Gosh, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting question. 
say this for this reason. I got to play I got to play in the Masters when I was an amateur when I was twenty years old and I got to hit balls beside Sam Snape. Fortunately I got to know him. I got to know Byron Nelson. Um I got to know from there forward all the greats of the game and, and play with all of Trevino and played against Watson and Trevino and Nicholas. And, you know, Palmer was a little bit before that, but got to be friends with him. I I was lucky, and now I know the young kids, a lot of them. Um, I liked where I played. Um, I got to compete against Greg and Seve and Nick and uh, Sandy and Ian and Watson and, and you know, just the... Yeah, there's I, no slouch in that company either. And, but... You know, when, when you say that, nostalgically, gosh, what was it like back there with Sneed, Hogan, and Nelson and, and, and that crew? That would have been pretty cool. Um, and uh, I'm afraid if I was back in that area, I might have had my butt beat too often to, <laughs> to really enjoy that era. But, uh, you know, i got to tell you, just to sidetrack, Sam Sneed was my guy, okay? Fellow Virginian. Um, you know, most wins of anybody on tour, the greatest swing, one of the greatest swings of all time, I believe. I just I just love the guy and the swing. How can you not play well playing with a guy like that with that rhythm and tempo and, and that ability to, to hit the golf ball? In those days, with that equipment, without the knowledge that we have now, but talking with Sam many times over the years, uh, you know, they knew more about the swing than anybody. Why? Because they had experienced it by experiencing and experimenting themselves. And they knew what worked and what didn't work. And I just think that's a great way to play. And that's the fun way to play. Not to play by swing by numbers. Yeah. I, I love listening to all the old guys. Obviously I'm a bit of an old guy myself, but I think, you know, a lot of them come across like you said, as it you know, a lot of people say, Well he didn't do what he said or he's you know, he doesn't know what he's doing, but they all they all knew for sure. Yeah, but you know, and that could be true. That's true in days, Tom. What I what I feel might not be exactly what I am doing. I don't know if I agree with that all the time. I think these guys are pretty damn good. And but um, I just uh, whatever whatever the feel was, and you like it, you hit a good shot. Keep doing it. It didn't matter what it looked like. That's right. You know, it didn't matter. And pretty good. You know, I'm gonna bet you. 100% of the time, it was the right thing to do, too, because the golf swing is still a machine and with a lot of moving parts. If you you hit it in the middle of the club face with a nice-looking divot and the ball starts in a good trajectory and you control it and you can control it, I don't give a rat's ass what your swing feel is. It's right, okay? So you just so do it again. The ball's going to tell you everything. Yeah, I mean, it's teaching the ball flight and, and your driver flight and your spin. It teaches you everything. Uh, and, and feel sometimes does screw us up. I try to do my podcast in a little different way. I'm going to do it from player to player. That's why I've had some great guests so far, and in the future we're going to look at having some more insight from the very best golfers that we can learn from, help your game be better. Now it's back to our podcast with Curtis Strange. So are there any trends in golf right now that don't sit so well with you? giving lessons and never looking at the guy's golf swing. You know, just teach him by track, man. Teach him by numbers. Um, I don't think anybody learns much from that. Um, you know, when I the thing in, in the golf swing that I never hear about anymore, um, first of all, I think we get a little too technical for, for teaching the, 
the average player or the decent player. But I never hear rhythm, tempo, feel anymore. You know, I don't care what your swing is like. You still have to match it up at the, at the bottom, right at impact. You know, well, how would you teach Miller Barber? How would you, you know, Jack Nicholas got ridiculed when he came out on tour with a fly-in right elbow. He did pretty well, didn't he? You know, Gabe Brewer was, with that funky swing, was a pretty good striker of the ball. Doug Sanders, uh, Jim Furyk. Now, they are exceptions, tr- tr- trust me, Trevino. But the key is what we're talking about, feel. They found their way, and they didn't care what it looked like. If that ball, you know, came out of that same barrel every time, meaning straight in the same way, then I, I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to keep doing it like that. So we try to teach this perfect swing sometimes and I, with a young man, and I'm not so sure we know what perfect is. Um, if the guy does a little bit funky way and he's a good striker, work on his strengths and talk about feel and tempo and rhythm because Sam Snead was the best striker, one of the best strikers of all time, not because he had the prettiest swing, but he had a swing that worked. And and repeated, and that's what I kind of you know nowadays the track man kind of overtakes the eyes and the teaching ability of, of just golf in general. Well, you'd love the way I teach that. If you're if you're a track man, I'm, I apologize. No, I, I rarely use it, and I rarely use cameras. I just show them what they do, and then we go through it all. I'm very much a feel and a. With, if you're trying to change, or tell somebody to get in a position. I think cameras are, are good to reinforce what you're saying absolutely but you gotta you know i try to remember when i teach give a tip for somebody on the pro-am or something is that they have no reference point on feel so when you try to tell them something film is a good thing because get them in that position in a, in a, in a shadow box swing and say feel that now let's try to feel that in the swing that's what to me cameras are great for that it reinforces what you're trying to say absolutely i love that that's exactly the way i try and teach so um what's the best advice you've, you've touched on this earlier what's the best advice you ever received that sort of helped your game or choking your ass off get the ground get the ball on the ground as soon as you can (laughs) (laughs) don't throw it up in the air and he was right um you know advice comes in small packages doesn't it and if you're if you're aware enough i'm not gonna say smart enough you're aware enough to 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 grasp that and just kind of put it back in the memory bank and remember that just little tips, little this, little that, then uh, you're going to be a better player. Um, a lot of advice is meant to be helpful that doesn't help you. Uh, you know, a la swing, this, that, and the other, try this, try that. I'm tempted. Hey, Joe, I'm having a tough time with my swing. Would you take a look? Well, try this. Well, maybe that's not good for you. But I don't know. I think sometimes we we have to get out there and do it ourselves. You can't teach a young kid how to score and how to play the game. He has to experience and learn himself. You can teach him a little bit how to swing, and you can give him some advice. But isn't it on us to learn how to really play the game by making mistakes Absolutely. and figuring out to hit this chip shot and that chip shot, and uh, you know how to hit that knockdown shot? We as kids and, and, and young adults, the part of the fun of the game is to go out there and hit different shots. 
I mean, practice on the practice tee is, is fun for a while. But as a kid, I got screwing around and hitting hooks and low shots and slices because it got boring as hell just hitting seven iron, seven iron, seven iron, you know. And after 30 minutes or so, you start messing around and some people might say goofing off. Guess what? You're learning when you're goofing off. You're learning. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a branch under there. Let's hit that. Let's hit this seven iron under that branch and have it go a little bit left to right. And you know what? Yeah. That's the, that's the beauty of the game. You know, when you chip and how do I hit this seven iron up in the air and chip? Or how do I hit this sandwich low and make it stop? Let's, let's, let's experiment and goof around, as I like to say, and, and learn how to hit different shots and how the ball reacts. I always tell my students, I said, I can tell you how to do that or show you, but you have to go learn it for yourself because I'm not you. Exactly. Exactly. We all and feel things differently. Exactly. And, yeah, my feel is not going to work for you at all. You know, we've talked a lot about feel, but you have your own feel. And if you can't grasp it, then I can't do anything with you. So what were the signs for you when you knew you were about to play good, you know, when you are going to get hot? You know, when you're, when you're in that, and, and, and I'll, I'll talk about tour. I mean, I think you, you felt that when you're an amateur, when you're a kid amateur college player but oh, I don't know I don't think I, I knew down deep uh, I was swinging well I I, I always was re- we're all golfers are the most insecure bunch of people on the, on the planet about their golf swing because it can it can leave you overnight for some reason your feels change or whatever or you're, you've been working into a bad habit now it shows its face tomorrow and you say where the hell did that come from um, but I I just felt like I was, you know, knew that, wasn't worried about my swing, knew I was going to play well if I made a few putts, and I never opened my mouth about swinging well or playing well. Curtis, you look like you're playing well. Thank you very much. Um, I, I hope to. I didn't speak out too often about playing well. You just kind of go get it done and, and make a few putts, but each round was different, wasn't it? Absolutely, um, yeah. And based on that, what was your favorite win, you know? Because you said sometimes you're playing great, sometimes you're not. What was your yeah. favorite win and, and why? You know, whether it was playing so good or playing average and still getting it done. Yeah, you know, average is, is uh, you know, most of us aren't talented enough to, to win when you're playing average. But average has different meanings, too. I've, I've won a couple of tournaments, I think, playing average. But uh, my average, because I, because I demanded so much of myself, I guess my average was pretty decent. But you know, if I didn't hit eighteen, if I didn't hit eighteen fairways and eighteen greens, there was a lot of soul searching that night, laying in bed. Okay, let's see how many fairways I hit, how many greens I hit. Why did I miss that seven iron over that way, or whatever it might be? And why the hell didn't I get up and down? And every night, laying in bed, every night of my life, I did that laying in bed. Um, I, 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 of course, the U.S. Opens are fantastic, and the first one is was sweet because. Um, it's, it's your first one. Um, but I remember the losses more so than I remember the wins. I remember the 85 Masters a lot more than I remember the wins. Um, I played Memorial and won at Memorial at Jack's Place in 80, 88. And because it was Jack's Place on a hell of a golf course with a great field, and I really played well, that's that's a favorite because um, uh, it it's, was a, I really, really played well. 
And for, for me, for any guy to say, I, and, and seriously, if I really say I played well, then I really did something that, you know, I was happy with. And that didn't happen very often on tour. <laughs> so let's let's just touch a couple of real quick ones um, based on today's play. Yardage books. Um, do you think, you know, the way technology's going on, do you think they'll be gone in the near future and will just be shoot with your bush now or your rangefinder? You know, I expect in the future somewhere they'll be legal. Um, that seems the way everything is going, more technology. Um, I don't know if I'd hate to see it or not. I think it would probably speed up the game on tour a little bit. Um, I, I like the idea of us trying to calculate our own yardages and to the front of the green and the carry of the right bunker and how far to the pin over the bunker. It gets I, you engaged. I... I just loved it. I did my yardages, and my caddy did my yardages too. And then we compared. We were always right on. You know, we were never off. We never. I think I, we made a mistake once in my life. <laughs> but you know, when you, when you, it was something fascinating about. Okay, I got sixty-two to the front. I got seventy-one to carry the bunker, and I've got, and that's my number basically. Seventy-one is what I have to carry it, and then I've got six more, seventy-seven to the hole. Let's try to carry it 73 to be safe. You know, that's a push in a six iron. And more comfortable with a five iron, but it's going to come in too low to stop. Well, maybe I'll push the six iron aim just left edge of the bunker. That's how it goes in your mind in, in seconds. And if I'm really playing well and I feel like I can hit a high, softer five iron, depends on how well you're playing, then, hey, I really feel, Joe, I really feel comfortable hitting this three-quarter five iron, kind of hanging it up in the air a little bit and, and uh, you know, five steps left of the hole. And that's the beauty of playing. I mean, my gosh, that's that's the sexy beauty, the love of the playing is not just hitting a six iron and busting his ass, throwing it up in the air and hoping for the best. Let's figure this out. Let's play the game. You yeah, know, that's let's, playing golf. Let's play swing, play golf. And uh, you didn't pull it off all the time, but you know, more likely than not, if you hit the proper shot. Um, you're going to, you know, proper shot meeting. If you miss this little five iron, but it's still in the middle of the green because that's where you're aiming, that was the proper shot and the proper way to play the hole because you didn't want to take on this deep bunker in the front right. My point being, playing the game was fun. I love that. I, I caddied for, you know, I coached Robert Allenby for a while. I went and caddied for him once to get in his head yeah. see what was going on. And we got on a hole and he you know, asked me the yardage and I said, it's 149. He said, what should I hit? I said, I don't care what you hit. So you, exactly. could, you could hit a 7, yeah, an 8, or a 9. Pick pick one of those. You, know, I, you don't need me to tell you what to hit. You'd be the artist. Yeah, and, you know, and what I did, though, okay, you got one, say you got 151, that's a normal 7 iron, but I feel like I got a little help behind me. I got plenty of green in front of me, so maybe I'll throw this 8 up in the air. What do you think, Joe? He says, I like that play. And, you know, it takes a strong caddy to say, you know what? Maybe if I didn't have a lot of room in front of the pin, I'm trying to push an eight iron, and it might not carry the front of the green. You know, I kind of like that little seven iron because you got all the room behind and nothing in front. Good point. So, you know, you do talk out a little bit. They they talk out everything so much now, and I wonder what the hell they're talking about. Because <laughs> because honestly, it's it's one of really you say three clubs. It's one of two clubs. It's the soft five or the hard six, and. I do say this, I think they all go hard now because they swing so fast. It looks like to me it's hard for them to hit the three-quarter shot, which was my bread and butter, but it was hard for them to hit the three-quarter shot because they swing so big and hard uh, and hit it so far. I understand that. 
but that's just the way the game has changed over the years. And that that's great advice for the amateur golfer listening because they they just pick up one number and they think, well, I hit my eight iron 150 yards last week, so I'll just hit an eight iron. They're not they're not playing golf. Yeah, look at your line. Look what's the wind doing. What's if you're gonna bust an eight iron and the pins on the front of the green? Get the little seven iron. Missing long is still on the green. Missing short is not. I mean, just things that go through your mind. That honestly, on tour, there's tour players that don't can't digest all that. Good play, decent players. You know, they hit the bomby eight iron every time. You know, and you know who those guys are. And there's times they play really well, and other times they don't. But uh, I wanted I wanted to find a game and figure out a game for me that I could play under any conditions, any golf course, every single day. And uh, that was that was my goal anyway. And you touched on slow play before. How are we going to combat that stuff? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think the courses are part of the slow place because of the speed of the greens. Speed of the greens is killing us the entire game. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, that slows things down. Uh, you know, just so much talking and so much kind of deciphering on a simple shot. I just don't get it. I mean, I, I know what they're doing. I mean, it's a it's a big purse, big tournament. Don't want to make a mistake, but uh, slow is part of the game. We could speed it up a little bit, but until you start putting penalties out there, nobody's going to do anything. Yeah, I think that's right. They got to. They got to. Now we'll just touch on Tiger real quick before we finish her up here. Yeah. You know, you were famous with an interview there saying, you know, when Tiger said he's going to win everything, and you said you'll see. I, I was in your camp. I didn't. I didn't believe all the hype and didn't think anyone. You know, I still get grief from that. <laughs> I know. That's why I mentioned it. Well, yeah, on the Twitter world. Yeah, yeah. You'll, somebody's like, you'll learn. Yeah. I know what it's for. He said to, to, for your listeners, "What do you expect? Something?" He says, "I expect to win every week." Second sucks, and third is worse. And I said, you know, sometimes second's not bad on tour. He says, I expect to win. I said, well, you'll learn. And I think, I told him years later, I said, you know what, I learned, because you, you're you pretty good. And we had a good laugh. But I think now, with his struggles, he'll say, Curtis, you are right. And I wouldn't be in derogatory, a smartass, sarcastic, anything. I was just being me to start with which is kind of like that but somebody who'd been out there for a lot of years versus somebody who'd played one professional round in their life I thought that was a pretty strong statement we found out that he was really good (laughs) but uh, uh, you know second at times you know what in my day if I finished 12th or 5th say I finished 15th last week and I hit the ball pretty well I just didn't make the putts I made a few birdies and I worked my butt off every day, and I, and I finished 15th. Okay, I played pretty well. I was never of the ability of, you know, of say I'm a Tiger, to expect to win every week. You know, sometimes you win those little battles in four days, and it's been a pretty doggone week, you know, finishing 15th. And so uh, uh, that's the way I looked at it, and Tiger certainly has the ability to look at it differently, as Jack Nicklaus did or some of the others, but... Uh, I love the way Tiger's swinging now. It looks like to me he's swinging a little bit more by feel. Um, I, I, I wonder, you being you being the professional teacher here, I don't understand how he could drive it so crooked sometimes because the swing looks right on plane, uh, good grip, good basics, everything like that. But what I marvel at is when he can get in trouble and hit these incredible shots, low hooks, high slices, whatever it might be, do that on, do that out of the middle of the fairway. You know, hit that three-quarter shot out of the middle. Hit that shot that you just hit 
by just using your imagination and feel instead of kind of up flinging and you know getting stuck as he says and you know if you know you're getting stuck then damn it don't do it anymore that's as simple as i just don't do it you know why you do it if so if you know why you know your hips move too fast for instance it might outrun your arms but damn it just don't do it anymore <laughs> that's the way i look at it well he's always and, uh, been an amazing iron player and to me yes. he doesn't look overdone on his irons he's he's got a distance in mind he's got a shot in mind he does a bit of the driver it's just flat out most a lot of the holes yeah, yeah, and you know we've watched him over the years through my TV work. Warm up on the practice tee, and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Drivers, everything, and then he gets to the first tee, and all of a sudden, you know, this swing. Where did that come from? You think to yourself, it's twenty mile an hour faster than it ever was on the practice tee, and just slow it down, match match things up, as I said thirty minutes ago, and hey. We're splitting hairs because he's arguably the best player of all time. But I want to see him do well again. Uh, for me personally, just because I enjoy watching him play, for golf, for himself, I love the comeback. And I still think he has a lot of good golf left in him. Okay, even with the the body the way it is, you know, obviously we don't know what's going on inside, but it can't be, you know, I'm sure you'd know, it's not easy playing injured. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, you're, a little hangnail will affect you once in a while. Um, <laughs> just because you're thinking about it and you know it's going to hurt at impact or whatever. Yeah, it's tough. But he says he's healthy now, so we'll see. But even being healthy, you don't get better at 43. Trust me on that one. I think you know as well. You're not going, You're not getting better and stronger at 43. You're going the other way. So you, you, you learn how to adjust, don't you? And historically, players on tour have gotten to be better drivers of the ball as they've gotten older. So far, that's not the case with, with Tiger. And that's the one thing that I I, I worry about. Because or, I think as feel. he gets older, he's got to put it in the fairway a few more times than he is right now. Yeah, because he's a great iron player. You just get it in yeah. play, you can beat him at the other parts. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we'll see. He's, he's a whole lot better than I was, and he's a... Uh, He's an unbelievable talent, and uh, I just love watching him play. I love any athlete, any athlete, performing at that level. They make it look easy, don't they? Absolutely, he does. <laughs> yeah, I um, never reach those standards, so I don't even know the realm that he's playing in. And that's the truth. Here we are discussing it, dissecting it. We have no <laughs> idea what he's doing. <laughs> so one of my favorite tournaments uh, was the 99 Open Championship at Carnoustie. I played that event. You commentate on it. Um what was going through your mind at the end there when Vandervelde was doing what he was doing? I was uh, in disbelief. Uh, I felt for him. Uh, I never want to see any golfer slash athlete uh, fall down at the end of a competition like that. Um, we were calling it, and we tried to let the, the, the play play out and not talk too much. But it was difficult. It's difficult to call golf when somebody is self-destructing like that. Um, we try to do the best. We try to give him, you know, his due um, without being too critical. But at times, you've got to say, this is not a smart play or this is not the right way to play this hole or this is not the proper shot with a three-shot lead. And he seemed to do the opposite on every time, every time and end up getting into the playoff, making triple bookie into the playoff and losing. And I just, uh, I hated it for him. He's handled it really well. He's been a complete gentleman, and 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 uh, it's been great for the game since then. But I felt for him. Um, uh, he, he should have the clear jug. He really should. Yeah, that was his 
all the way. All right, last one for you, Curtis Strange. I know, you know, I watch you on Twitter and we touch base there, but fishing, you love to fish. If you were, you know, put it in handicap terms, what handicap are you off as a, as a fisher? <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm a... I don't know. It's hard. I, if you ask me in my golf or my fishing or whatever it might be, I, you know, I don't know what I am. You know, I, I catch a few fish and I think I know what I'm doing a little bit and I listen and learn like I did with my golf. Um, uh, I want to be a better fisherman. And um, I'm probably a five handicap maybe. No, that's pretty I've good. Been stuck, I've been stuck. Maybe maybe I'm worse, maybe I'm better. You'd have to ask the professionals. <laughs> but but I'm starting to fly fish a lot, so I'm, I'm a 15 handicap there. That's, that's um, a newbie, but you'll, you'll, you'll get that sorted out, I'm sure. Trial I, and error. I've got it sort of sorted out, but, but like anything else, the more you learn, the more there is to learn. And so I'm, uh, I, I try to sort it out. It's, uh, I can get it out there, but accuracy is – I've got to tighten her up a little bit. My accuracy is real good right now. <laughs> The opposite to golf. I, I went fishing with my mate like three times, and I think I threw up a hundred yards offshore each time. So I've never even done it yet. Oh, that's I, a, I couldn't know, even that's, get out that's, there. That's a, you know, you got to learn how to do something else. Um, <laughs> that's uh, unfortunately some people don't like the big fees. That's why I end up sticking to golf. Different format, <laughs> teaching right. instead of playing, but stick stick to what I know. Well, thanks, mate, for joining us here. Love talking to you been a pleasure and hopefully you have a great fun at Augusta and bring home a good winner. Who's your tip? You know, I was going out on the limb a little bit and it's not going on the limb with Justin Rose. I like his mentality. He's playing pretty well. He's not playing as well as he did last year, but he's got the he's got the the mindset. He's certainly got the game. He never looks like he hits a foul ball. Uh, but with that said, how in the world do you ever bet against Rory right now? He's playing pretty well. Don't talk to me about the putter. and Don't talk to me anything else. He's the most talented out there, I think, with the ability to, 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 to shoot scores because he's done it. He's proven us he can do it. Then at the same time, you have Dustin Johnson, who's the most gifted guy out there to me, athletically. And it looks like everything he does is easy to him. Um, so... I'm going to – I don't know if I'm sticking with Justin or not, but if, if, I think the winner will – to me, the winner should come from one of those three. But then you have another 10 or 12 guys that, that if they won, wouldn't surprise anybody. That's right. Yeah, it's a big blanket so, uh, of the group. My gosh, it's a big, wide open, a lot of storylines this week. And for me, as doing TV, it's going to be a fun week simply because there's a lot of guys to talk about and a lot of guys that have a chance to win. And, and that's that's – that's good for golf, good for Augusta, and easier for me. Well, I hope you have a great week there, mate. Thanks for joining us. Loved Thank you, Bradley. It. Enjoyed it. Let's do it again. Thanks, mate. Talk to you. Bye. Be sure to check out my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com, or join my members' site, bradleyhughesgolf-members.com. You'll find all my latest videos there, the only place you can find them. Book your lessons at my website find out about golf at my member site it's a great place to be enjoy my podcasts and learn more about golf by following me on all social media at Hughes golf on instagram twitter and on facebook